Well, good morning. It's good to welcome you today to the Sunday before Christmas, the last Sunday of Advent. Uh, we've been we've been celebrating Advent for a long, long time. Uh-huh. So to come to this day and wrap things up, it's a it's a great day to be able to to be able to celebrate that. And uh, oh, I had something I was going to say. What was it? How are you? <laughs> if that's what it was, then I'm great. And you did your job wonderfully. Good, good, <laughs> good. Um, I had uh, wanted to start, that's what it was, I wanted to start by talking about last week, and the great job the kids did. Yeah. Again, I mean, just, that just, it sat with me all week long. I love that. I think I was blown away by the fact that they pulled that together, I mean, not on purpose, but in less than a month. Yes. And that is, that's really tough to do, to get those lines memorized, to have everything come together as it did, especially, man, I... Not saying anything about first service, but second service, it was like a professional show. I mean, it, they did so, so well. They so did, very, they very did. I'm glad you raised that, because I was going to say the exact same thing. You know, a lot of times you don't know the behind-the-scenes stuff that mm-hmm. happens, and you might think that these guys were, these kids were practicing since September or right. not, but it was, a, it was a very short window mm-hmm. of rehearsing. And, you know, for some of them, they had, a, they had a lot of lines to master, and then we were going through the... So and so's family tested positive, and so this kid's mm-hmm. got to stay home, and that kid's got to stay home. We were starting to I'm wonder if I was going to have to be baby Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was really getting, uh, you know, challenging with all that cotton swabbing going on. So anyway, uh, yeah, that that part, the fact that they were able to do that under that kind of pressure and with that kind of, uh, you know, kind of constant uh, turmoil yeah. was 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 really really incredible. So. So happy for that. Uh, just talk for a second. I didn't get my, my clickers over here. This is a dangerous platform that he's just given me. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I guess I'll talk about students. Students, we had awesome, uh, awesome Christmas parties over the last couple of weeks. And uh, so now we're going to take two weeks off for both groups. So tonight and next Sunday night we'll be off for Revive. This Wednesday and next Wednesday... We'll be off for refuge, and we'll come back the, the first Sunday of 2022, first Wednesday of 2022, uh, back, to our, back to our normal group nights. So. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, it was, it's been fun, the, the Christmas parties you've had, and uh, it's funny, uh, I think I went through Tuesday and noticed little crumbles of candy cane here and there. I was like, somebody had fun smashing candy canes. <laughs> yeah, so we played this game where you had to put a candy cane on your finger. And you had to hold the finger straight out, but your goal was to go around knocking candy canes off of the other people's fingers. So last person standing won like a a little gift card. And high school acted completely appropriately, believe it or not. They they did it when they got knocked out, they were upset, but you know, sat down, whatever. Junior high on the other hand. As soon as those candy canes got knocked off the fingers, they were immediately picked up and then just gronk spiked into the ground. (laughs) So I'm running around the gym, just constantly sweeping up, cleaning, and yeah, so sorry if I missed one or two. It was, it was fun. Some ants were very happy about it. So anyway, it worked Oopsie. out very well. Um, I wanted to remind you, I, again, we've been grateful and thankful for your consistency in giving. It's been, it's been awesome. You've been incredibly generous this year. And one of the things that we, we said we were changing last year is that we were, getting, we were doing away with our post office box. And we did technically do away with our post office box, except it's still been there. Because we wanted to make sure that we caught, you know, got all the mail redirected. So as of December 31st, it's finally, formally, officially gone. So if you've still been mailing to a post office box, there's going to come a point that they're not going to be as generous about making sure that it gets redirected. And um, we do have some of the church envelopes available for you uh, on the table out there, and, and actually, um, we got the new address on those for you as well. So if you're a mail-in person, uh, feel free to use those, and, and that'll work really well for you. Christmas Eve is just a few days away, and what we've decided to do this year for Christmas Eve, we're offering one service at 3.30, and, um, and it'll be all family. So this is one of those times that everybody's in the room with us, kids and all, and we'll celebrate together. It will, it will be roughly 45 minutes, so under an hour and a time for us to be able to uh, celebrate the birth of Jesus together. So if you're available for that, we encourage you to come on out. We know for some of you, you're already on your way traveling, going here or there, but um, 
I, I, for me, I think Christmas Eve, you know, for one thing, we've always wanted to be the night that if you wanted to invite family, friends, you know, a night for, to do outreach, that's important. And, and we also recognize that for some, uh, they're still in that season of either I don't go anywhere because of, because of the disease out there or, or honestly, some people just, they don't go anywhere they don't want to because of the disease out there. So it uh, might be that you lay out an invitation out there and, you know, they're at Jewel all the time, but God forbid we come to church. So anyway, um, just, just, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of <laughs> dark. That's, that's the way it is. I, I know the game, all right? So if you extend that invitation and they say no, don't feel disappointed. There, there is that uh, still lingering out there, but it will still be a night for you to be able to come together and uh, I think just quiet the heart. That's, that's what the night is about. It's about quieting the heart. It's a noisy world. It's a noisy world, and we need, we need that quieting of heart. So uh, another thing we wanted to, to share with you is that um, coming into the new year, we'll talk about this a little bit this week, more next week, and then on into January, but it, it has been a, a great year for our church in so many ways. Uh, we've seen We've seen growth just in terms of people who are coming to be a part of the church. Uh, we've seen growth in, in giving. We've seen, I mean, even in terms of baptisms, 40 baptisms is the most church has ever done in a year. Uh, just a lot of areas that we've seen growth. But one of the things we want to make sure happens in a season of growth is that it, it doesn't start to quickly uh, dissipate because people can't figure out, like, where the door handle is or, or how to get involved or how to make a friend. And we, we really, I, I've had a burden on two fronts. One is just what do we do to make sure that we're really building disciples, really building people into followers of Jesus? And then the other is to make sure that if a person is part of what's going on here, they're really part of it. They're a participant, not just a spectator. And so I think every once in a while it's important to come together and do what we might call an all-church focused event where, where we're doing something that that gets everybody on the same page we did this my goodness back in 2001 i think or something did purpose-driven life back then uh as a as a same page type of experience and so we're, we're going to be moving into winter with a same page kind of experience and all of our all of our journey groups will will do this same thing together it'll be based in part on something we're doing on sunday mornings as well as what we're doing in our group. So uh, just giving everybody kind of a, it, it's almost like one of those moments that we say, all right, we're, we're all new. We're all new. We're all starting together, and we'll, we'll start that together and be able to find connection that way. So that's the most I'll say about that today. I'll, I'll lay out more of those, more of those pieces next week, uh, but, but that's, that's for today. So, um, yeah. And the only other piece to share today is just the sadness that we feel at the loss of a good friend. So, um, Vicki Clyborne contracted COVID and, um, and last Friday went home to be with Jesus and uh, mentioned an email yesterday. I was so grateful that, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I think so many of us have found horrifying about this disease is that people have died alone. And I was incredibly grateful that the, that the staff of St. Joe's recognized the importance of physical presence. Um, I would hate for a person, even if they're unconscious, to have a moment they wake up and that room is empty and they're by themselves. And we know that, we know that Jesus is there, but we're there as a representative of him. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. We... You know, you're in that room, you're praying, you're praying for healing. Healing doesn't come. God, what are you saying and all that? I think for a lot of us, we have a, we have a lot of questions today. We, we're, in a, we're in a world that is, that is broken. We're in a world that is not the way God intended it. And uh, Vicki was uh, such a vital part of so many of our lives. I, I didn't know this until years of her being into here, but she was kind of scared to death of me. Um, she would avoid me at the door. I didn't know that. Somebody finally outed her, and then I said something, and oh my word, that just brought even greater fear. So <laughs> uh, we went through a season of being able to learn how to say hi and whatever, and, and then, uh, you know, there were a couple of times that, that I was able to be in the room where she would break into what could only be described as a comedy routine. I mean, 
the sense of humor this woman had was, was astounding. You just weren't, you were, you were so not expecting it that when she went there, you went, oh my word, you need to be on a stage somewhere. <laughs> I mean, she was just so absolutely funny. So uh, be praying for her husband, Clinton, for her kids, for her grandkids. You know, uh, just a, it's never a good time to leave this earth, but what a dreadful season to, to leave now. And, um, and I know even this morning there are a lot of a lot of people sitting here today that are just feeling the whole of that, feeling the loss. So, um, so we we want to be praying for them. Uh, one, one, what we're going to do this morning a little bit different. I think that I think that some of us could use some music up front. So our team is going to come right now, and they're going to uh, lead us lead us in a couple of songs, and then um, and then you'll come back and do the Advent reading and we'll go into communion, okay? So uh, I'm going to pray. Father God, <clears throat> you are truly the God of all comfort. You are the God that is present with us in, in all things, including the valley of the shadow of death. You specifically let us know that when we're going through that darkest valley of our life, you are there, and we do not have to be afraid. I... I think that for a lot of us, our, our sadness, our sadness about Vicky today is um, it's trumped in a sense by the, by the reality of her joy right now, her joy right now in your presence, loving you and being loved by you. Thank you that she came to know you as her forgiver and leader. And thank you that she lived a life that trusted you and could trust you with her life right up to the very end of her life. Pray for her husband, her kids, and her grandkids today as they adjust to the loss in their life and for people here today, too, who just feel the tremendous hole that comes when a friend leaves this earth. I'm grateful that you are familiar with death Jesus, I'm grateful that you walked that path yourself. You know, you know what it's like. You're not unfamiliar with death. I'm thankful that we have the hope that comes on the other side. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to give us our uh, Advent reading, and then I'll actually give you the, the reflective practice before I pray, because um, we'll head straight into communion after that prayer. And for communion, uh, we get up and move around the room. So we have two stations up front, two in the back, and then we actually have some gluten-free options here on the stage, as well as one uh, near the back doors there. And for that reflective practice, we want you to sit and think about the questions. We want you to, uh, to spend that time literally in reflection, because during communion, we'll be listening to the daily reading uh, straight out of the Dwell app, and it is between 20 and 25 verses, so it's a, another extended reading, so you don't need to run up to, to receive communion this morning. Um, sit and think and listen and, and ponder and, and wonder and be with God this morning. How do we know what God is really like? We know God is love, or at least we've been told, and yet as fallen humans, even as people who believe in God, it's all too easy to get tangled up in mistaken notions about him, whether from incomplete or inaccurate teaching and preaching, or from difficult and broken relationships with parents, pastors, or other authority figures, or for any other reasons. We can even have wrong ideas about the accurate words we associate with God, such as holy or jealous or, or perfect. Anything that invites discouragement or distance rather than desire and joy in our relationship with God can often be traced back to this kind of misunderstanding. As with God's people long ago, there are many false gods around us. We too need the Lord to remind us of who He is and make our imaginations healthy so we can know him better, more deeply, and more freely. Today, here's a simple yet profound reminder from Micah of God's character and how we will recognize it in the Messiah. 
we hear that God will intentionally select what is little to make it great. A characteristic of God's love is that it gravitates to what is small and what is humble. As we learn more about God's love this week, let's use Micah 5, 2 to 5 as a guide. If we cannot picture a guide whose eye is on the little ones of the clans of Judah, then we have the wrong God. By choosing Judah to be his own birthplace, God honors what no one else is honoring because God is someone who honors what humans often miss. In all his might, he is more gentle, more sensitive, and more kind than we could ever imagine. He makes the small great, then makes his grandest and humblest entrances there. So for the reflective practice, it asks, what areas of your life seem small? What people or circumstances stand out to you that others seem to overlook? Bring these to God in prayer. Name each person or circumstance before him. Ask God to honor each one of them through the presence of Christ. If you get a sense of how the Lord would like to show this love, either write it down or continue holding it in prayer this week, or ask God how he might like you to participate. Let's pray. Purify our conscience, Almighty God, by your daily visitation that your Son Jesus Christ at his coming may find us in a mansion prepared for himself who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. We express gratitude to you for small things. Something as small as a, a chip of a piece of bread and a cup that can remind us of something so great, grace that is greater than all of our sins. We thank you for the, the opportunity and the challenge to reflect on the small things in our lives. And the way that the small draws us to your greatness. Even something as small as an infant baby. An infant baby we celebrate this week. Something so small. I'm just, I'm grateful you didn't do it the way we always do it. We, we do it with everything to the max. And you let that baby be so small, so fragile. For us. We are grateful to you, God the Father, today for Emmanuel. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I love that the song. Both songs were amazing, but the way that song came together. Our, our, our team of kids is really, they're coming into their own. It's, it's, been, it's been amazing to watch them grow and continue to grow. I loved last week, already said that, the, the time that the kids spent um, presenting the Christmas story to us, kind of wondered what I'd take with me uh, through the week. You know, I love that song, Light of the World. It just, it moves me. And, and, and our, our kids sang it with such beauty. But I have to be honest with you, I said something to Kim at some point. All week long, my head was going, what did the, what did the cows in the manger say to baby Jesus in the hay? Moo, moo. All week long, moo, 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 moo. It's going on and on. I'm like, this is my Christmas? Moo, moo? Really? But, but the moment that was just so incredible when the little kids were up here, and they're, you know, they're all doing their thing and trying to figure it out. Clearly, Joe had just practiced the life out of these motions. And when it came time to lay baby Jesus in the hay, she just bowed so low and put the baby Jesus. I'm telling you what, that, that image has been burned in my mind all week long. And then to get the challenge this morning to celebrate the small things, that's, that's the small thing that God has used all week long to make this Christmas celebration so special and so meaningful. A, a, a three-year-old... Um, bending over and laying baby Jesus in the hay. So uh, the Bible tells us flatly, don't despise the day of small things. Be careful that you overlook the small thing. If you overlook the small thing, you might actually look the, overlook the thing that is very great. I, I would say that for most of us that, that knew Vicky, Vicky was in many ways a small, a small thing, a small thing of greatness. Don't overlook the small things. Today we come to week four. 
Our guys did a great job lighting our Advent candles this week. There are no more for, and Advent is done. And you know full well that Advent for us has not just been a four-week experience, but it's been weeks and weeks. We started Advent all the way back in October because we wanted to come to today. We wanted to come to this week and have our hearts ready to celebrate and to embrace fully the meaning of the name Emmanuel. We want to not go through a season in a flurry and come to Christmas Day and go, thank God that's over. But, but to enter that day saying, I understand and accept and embrace the full meaning of this season and the full meaning of Jesus, our Emmanuel. We've talked about God with us. And we, we started by talking about the ways in which we try to be with God, but it doesn't work. We make our efforts. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden sowing those fig leaves together, we try our way, and it doesn't work. And then as, as Advent actually started the, these four weeks, we shifted to what are the ways that God invites us into relationship and the way that he desires to truly be with us. And so we've, we've done that by looking at all kinds of scripture. We've gone all the way back to Genesis, spent time in that, and, and looked at the way that the God of heaven wants to be with us. First song we sang this morning has a few lines in it that are profound. I mean, I just, I, they, they grab me and they don't let me go. Uh, one of them, actually, this week, I think of your love like the low winter sun. We are, we are at the lowest of the winter sun right now. And I was driving one day and I was literally being blinded by the sun because of where it is in this winter. And, and those words came back of being blinded by the love of God, just like the low winter sun blinds us. But there is a line in this song that just, it, it grabs me and it will not let me go. You could have saved us in a second, but instead you sent a child. You know, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, God could have there on the spot said, here's the solution, boom, and, and provided the solution right then, right there. We looked at Genesis. We looked at Genesis 3.15 where the promise comes that there's going to be, there's going to be a snake stomper. He is going to come and he's going to, he's going to crush the head of the serpent. And I just kind of suspect that if most of us were telling the story of human history, chapter 4 would begin with a superhero. It would begin with a spiritual superhero with, with really big boots. And we'd know the, the snake stomper has come. He's here. He's ready to take out the serpent. But instead, what does God do? Over the next several chapters of Genesis, he begins a family through a man named Abraham, and that family starts to grow. It grows to 70 people, and then they need shelter from a famine, and they head to Egypt, and they think they're safe in Egypt. But after a while, some people forget why the family's there, and they become slaves, and they're slaves for 400 years. And finally, they're freed from their captivity. And you think, oh my goodness, after all that, you're going to love and worship God forever. And it takes no time at all, and they're sinning like crazy. And God says, I'm going to give it 40 years to think about it, wandering around a wilderness, and they wander, and they finally come into the land of promise. Now we'll get it right, and I'll tell you what, almost from day one, they just set themselves on a course of doom and disaster, and it's hundreds of years, and before you know it, God is sending the people off into exile, and you're reading the chapters of the Old Testament like, where's the snake stomper? I want the snake stomper. It's time. It's time for this superhero. It's time for this person who's spiritually going to rescue us. And we go through all of the Old Testament, we get to the final, final book of the Old Testament, and then, and then God actually sends 400 years of silence, where there's no communication, just, just radio silence. Where did God go? What's happening? And then, and some angels start to sing. And a baby's born, a baby. And I don't know about you, when I think of all the ways that God could have done this, a baby, really? If you've had a baby, if you've held a baby recently, there are a lot of words that you can use to define a baby. But for me, in this situation, the key word is vulnerable, and the second would be dependent. Vulnerable and dependent. Here's, the baby can do nothing on their own can do nothing on their own. And the God of the universe decides he's going to rescue us. He's, he's going to send this superhero in the form of an infant child. It's crazy. 
It's, only God would do that. Only God, only God would do it this way. You know, I think about some of the, some of the very, very um, rich people of our times, the Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, these sorts, these, these multi-billion, billion, billion, billionaires. Imagine if one of them was moved to just kind of, hey, you know what, I heard about this place named Shanahan. I just want to come be one of you folk. I want to be a Shanabilly too, you know? And, and so they decide they're going to be a Shanabilly. I promise you, they, they wouldn't know how to do it. I've been around not a lot of rich people in my life, but I've been around a few. They don't know how to be simple. They, you know, they just, uh, what's a lawnmower? Oh, oh, I have people for that. You know, I mean, they, they don't know how to be simple. Jeff would sell all his stuff and come and buy, you know, a $30 million home. Something small, something modest. He, he'd come and he'd do that. God comes and he comes just like us. Literally. In fact, I would dare say he comes less than most of us. Less than most of us. Poorer than most of us. And all of this to get the point across, Emmanuel is finally here. God is with us in person. We get to celebrate God in person. You remember when we started this, we looked at that first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He just kind of lays it out. Hey, we're going to start the story now. This is the, this is the way the story starts. If this was a Star Wars movie, they'd be scrolling words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, 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 and so here it is. And now, now we come on over to the New Testament. And we have the telling of the redemption. How this all unfolded. And we have some beautiful tellings of the story of the coming of Jesus. You know, you have the, the story in Matthew, but, but the story in Luke in particular, my goodness, he just unfolds all the beauty. You get the angels, you get the donkeys, you get everything is there. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. As a kid, I remember one year, my, my pastor was, uh, it was Christmas time, and he's doing the Christmas sermon. For us, we didn't have Christmas Eve, so this was like the biggie. You know, this was, this was Christmas for us. And he's doing the Christmas service, and he says, here's what I'm going to do today. We're not going to look at Matthew. We're not going to look at Luke. We're going to look at the book of John. And I'm telling you what, I felt ripped off. I want to give my money back. I'm like, I want some angels. I want some donkeys. I, I, want, I want a manger. I want, I want Christmas. And he says, we're going to turn to the book of John. So if you have your Bible in this morning, uh, you can turn to the book of John, and uh, I'll give you your refund later, because that's where we're going today. I love this. I love this. When John starts his gospel, it sounds really familiar in the beginning. Starts the exact same way. In the beginning was the Word. Now we know as we read just a little bit that he wasn't just talking about a word, he was talking about the Word. He was talking about Jesus as the expression of God. We finally, the message is being spoken in the form of a person, and the person is named the Word. And, and, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I love this. In, in a verse already, John's saying, you need to understand this, we, we worship one God, but he's a trinity. He comes in the form of three persons, and I'm going to introduce you to person number two. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then he says something that I think a lot of us don't know. When it comes to creation, it says, Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was involved in the creation. And when you think about this, how did God create the world? He spoke. Let there be light. He spoke the word. The word was spoken and creative powers were released. And before you know it, here we have the world created through the word. We have the world created through Jesus. It says, in him was life. The life was the light of all mankind. And the light was shining in the darkness. And there was nothing the darkness could do to stomp it out. Our world feels very dark today. I'm telling you what, there's nothing the world can do. There is no power on earth that can stomp the light out. It is impossible. Then, then John, the apostle, takes us to a little bit about John the Baptist. Two different guys. He says there was this guy named John the Baptist. He was sent to be a witness to the light, to tell us about the light. He's not the light. He's pointing to the light. 
he goes on to say that the true that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world he was in the and though he was the one who made the world the world did not recognize him have you ever been in a situation where everybody should know who you are and nobody knows who you are it's crazy. It's really kind of weird when nobody knows you're that person, you're this particular person. Jesus, the creator, comes to the world he created, and the world he created has no idea that the creator is here. They don't even recognize him. He came to that which was his own. His own didn't receive him. And then, and then we get this beautiful moment of hope. Yet there were some who did receive him. And to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he became them the right to be called the children of God. That's you. You believed in Jesus. You've been given the right to be called children of God. Children not born of human descent or of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And then comes the verse, the verse of verses, the Christmas verse that is maybe more profound than anything expressed in the rest of Scripture. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. For all of the different religions in the world and the the little g gods that human beings have invented, they're always big, supernatural, overpowering. Only the God of heaven would say, we are going to bring you to earth, my son, and you're going to come in the form of a baby. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That idea of dwelling is literally he set up his tent. He set up his tent in our yard. It says, we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So why does he send the Son? He sends the Son so that we can start to get to know more about the Father, so that we can have him present, and in his presence get an idea of who God is. Now, the Bible goes on to say, John testified about him. He cried out in the wilderness saying, here's the one that's coming. It says, out of his fullness, out of the fullness of Jesus, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace came through Jesus. And then it says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son has seen him, who is himself God and is is in closest relationship with God, and he's made him known to us. So this word reveals, it reveals to us the one we cannot see, the one, the one that, we, that we cannot stand in the presence of here on earth and see and talk to and touch. But Jesus came to do that. He was truly with us in person. He was with us in person. I, 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 when I think about this truth, this theological concept, I, I wish that I were better at communicating because I'll tell you what, there are a few things more profound in all of human history than the idea that God would become a human being. Think of all the ways he could have chosen to save us that he wouldn't get his hands and feet dirty. But God became a human being. 100% God and 100% human all at the same time. And it had to be that way. He had to be 100% human so that he could die for our sins. He had to be 100% God so that he would be sinless. He had to be both. He had to be both in order to bring us redemption. He is with us in person. Now, there are two ways he is with us in person today that are really, really vital. Ways that as as we think about Emmanuel, and I, I really do hope you'll embrace that name for Jesus more and more. I hope you'll pray more this year to Emmanuel with the recognition that God is with you. He's with us all the time. But there are two places that his in-person presence really makes a difference. The fact that he came and was a full human being, he experienced things we experience. He didn't didn't just kind of watch from a distance and go, oh, so that's what that's like. He came and he experienced them. He's, He's with us, for example. He's with us in temptation. He's with us in temptation. The Bible is quite clear that as a human being, Jesus experienced temptation. Now let's not forget temptation. Temptation is not sin. Sometimes we feel guilty because we were tempted. No, you shouldn't feel guilty when you're tempted. You should recognize that you're a human. Humans get tempted. Jesus got tempted. He got tempted 
all the same way we do. Here's what the Bible says on that. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, I love that they refer to him as a high priest. What, What the writer of Hebrews is trying to do is help people to understand how Jesus is the fullest expression of everything they've ever believed. And he says, we have this great high priest. Now, most people, when they think of the high priest, they do have that experience of, uh, he's scary. I'm staying away from him. There's a distance there. So we hear that Jesus is a high priest, and we might, we might think, well, I shouldn't approach him. But he says, no, just the opposite. Jesus, this God-man, is incredibly approachable. Since we have this great high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. He says, for we do not have a great high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Every once in a while I'll hear people you know, complain about different denominations, and all, especially denominations where, where, where the person leading doesn't have the opportunity to be married. And they're like, how in the world can they relate to me? They're not married. How can they relate? Well, I don't know that we have to go through everything someone else has done to relate, but I will say this, when we've gone through it, we relate differently, right? Jesus went through this. He went through being a human. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just like we are. You hear those words and you go, well, I don't know if Jesus is really tempted and Every way I'm tempted, because you know the ways you've been tempted, and they're ugly. They're ugly. When you think of Jesus, you think, uh, you know, he might have been tempted at one point to say, shucky darns, you know, but he resisted. He, He held back that temptation. No, in every way, just like we are. Think of your ugliest of ugly. In every way, just like we are. Here's what happens with the temptation of Jesus that's different than us. Our family likes to use an old-fashioned pressure cooker to cook the chicken that we make chicken and noodles with. So you get it on the stove, and it's got that little metal thing on the top that goes chicka, 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 chicka. And chicka, chicka is just so comforting. Chicka, 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 chicka. The chicken is getting done. Chicka, chicka, chicka. Well, when you turn on the heat, it doesn't chicka immediately. It, it starts, and, 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 then, and then before you know, you hear a little steam coming from here and there, and then you'll get a chicka, and then a chicka, chicka, and then a chicka, and then a consistent chicka, 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 chicka. Okay? So, Jesus rode out temptation all the way to chicka, 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 chicka. And then the stove turned off and the pressure went down. For us, the stove is turned on and we go, that's it, I'm done, I'm sinning. We don't even wait for the first steam, let alone a chicka. We don't do that. Jesus rode out the fullest extent of every temptation and did not sin. So when you think, he can't relate to me, ha! You can't relate to him because every temptation he met, he didn't give in. We still give in. We still give in. Every t- he understands you in a way you don't get you. He's with us in temptation. Every temptation, yet without sin. So it says, because of that, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We can come to Jesus in the moment of temptation and say, you get this in a way I don't. I need your help right now. And he's with you in person in your temptation. He's there for you. He's with us in temptation. And he is with us in tears. He is with us in tears. There are a couple of passages that are just kind of go-to for me at funerals. I, I, and the one I can't barely resist is John chapter 11. It says there are three people on earth that Jesus was just completely in love with. Matthew, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he gets word that Lazarus is sick. And the beginning of the Bible says that Jesus knew he was sick and he delayed going to see him. And we know there's a conversation about why he delays going to see him, and God's going to do something amazing, and he needs to delay, but he delays. 
Verse 17 says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He died, and he's in the tomb for four days. I don't know if you've ever shown up to something that you were supposed to do something and you didn't, and you show up now and you're wondering what's going to happen when you show up because you should have been there, but you weren't there. Four days later, Jesus shows up. I'm just kind of suspicious that as much as everybody loved Jesus, they're going, I can't believe he waited four days. Just can't believe he waited for what in the world? I mean, Bethany's only two miles away. What in the world? It says these Jews are there to comfort Martha, to comfort Mary and the loss of their brother. When Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she goes out to meet him. And I just, you know, John says it very politely, but I think, I think Martha went out to meet him. <laughs> My opinion. We'll find out in heaven when we watch the DVD. <clears throat> Why do I think that? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? That line, man. That line was there several times on Friday. You are here. Don't let her die. Don't let her die. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask, she said little later he sees Mary you can tell Mary and Martha have been talking right Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died where were you where were you we often think about God and you know because he's all-powerful we think life's got to be easy he can just he can do anything do you know do you know how hard it is to not do what you want to do wonder if Jesus being human had to have had in his heart a tug of war going on saying I don't want my friends to have to go through this I'm leaving right now think about it as a parent how often is the most difficult thing not to do for your child but to not do to hold back to wait because something greater is about to unfold verse 33 says Jesus saw her weeping Friends weeping, says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That's that Splunk Mountain, that's right here. He felt it right here. Mm. Felt deep in his gut the pain and sorrow. Yes, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. And then I love this verse as a Bible because it was a verse as a kid because it was easy to memorize. Shortest verse in the Bible Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Have you ever thought about Jesus weeping? Hollywood has given us images of Jesus weeping. Little tear forms right here. I thought about this this week. You know, death is fresh right now. Did he stand at the grieve and just heave and sob? Shoulders rocking, tears flowing, audible gasps. People noticed he cried. They said, look how much he loved him. They noticed. I don't know if the crowd way back there would have noticed. He wept. He wept. And why did he weep? He didn't weep because Lazarus was dead. In about five minutes, I'm bringing him back to life. Get ready for a party, folks. I, it's not because he's dead. He wept because he saw what humans go through. He saw the pain. He felt the pain. Jesus went to funerals. He saw the pain. Jesus saw the pain of a woman who had been suffering for 12 years and had been taken with every bit of her money by all the stupid nighttime infomercials. He saw it. He saw the pain. He felt the pain. And he cried. He wept. Jesus is with us in person in our temptation, and he's with us in person in our tears. And being with us in our tears doesn't mean he always makes every boo-boo better. Doesn't mean he always gives us what we wanted. He doesn't always answer every prayer the way we want him to, but his compassionate heart is right there. He felt the human pain and cried. 
You remember when he's talking to Martha, he says, your brother will rise again. I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection. I get it. No, he says, no, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Never die. He, I mean, he lays out in profound fashion. This is who I am the resurrection. The resurrection is in day coming. I am the resurrection. And then he asks a very simple question. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe it? She kind of lays out a, a great theological reflection. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who came into the world. No, the question was, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is with you in person? That he's with you in temptation? Sometimes in temptation, we're like, I did what am I supposed to do? I can't help. Jesus is with you in your temptation. He's there to give you the power to overcome the temptation. Jesus is with you in your tears. You know, all you can say right now is, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus is saying, but I'm here. But I'm here. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you in person. I'm here. We tend to believe that the final word is temptation. We tend to believe that the final word is suffering. We tend to believe that the final word is death. The final word is Jesus. And he asks you the simple question today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Stand with me, let's pray. Father, as we walk through our temptations and our tears as we have those moments that our hearts are tugged to do the wrong thing, as we have those moments that our hearts are ripped apart by our sadness and our inability to fix the thing that's broken in a broken world that's just a pitiful mess, help us to not forget that you are present. You are present always. You are Emmanuel. We are not alone. Our circumstances are not the reality. You are the reality. The word is the reality. Jesus is the final word. Help us to trust you, Lord Jesus, to trust you completely. Amen. We'll see you Friday for Christmas Eve. Enjoy your week.